Welcome back to the Cactus Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Drinks. Alongside me, as always, is... Ryan the Bearded Bastard. Boom. And today's guest is Nick the Tequila Wanderer. Appreciate you coming on, homie. Hello, Nick. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. I'm excited. This place is sweet. You got a great setup. It's all him. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, he was he was asking how long you you had the spot, and I was like, two years? I don't know. About two years. Uh, Moved in in June of 21 during the COVID crisis. Came available, and uh, we secured it for five years. Okay, cool. That's cool. Nice. All right, so I know you brought some tequila. So what are we sipping on today? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, you and I have been chatting, right? And we've been talking about you're getting more and more into your tequilas. And, uh, you know, you would just mention how, like, the no hangover aspect is what you love the most about tequila. So I figured I got to bring something that's an additive-free Blanco tequila, you know, something that kind of meets that – that kind of uh, topic and, and meets that kind of uh, qualification. So we got a, a relatively new brand over here. It's El Gran Legado de Vida. Um, now the brand is relatively new, but it, it's from one of the, the most established, renowned, respected distilleries and tequila making families in Mexico. So it comes from uh, distillery Cascawin, um, the, the NOM. And that's a, again, for non-tequila people, right? That's a a, a registration number, a specific number on every bottle of tequila that's made to meet the standards required to be called tequila has a NOM number on the back of the bottle, right? And so the NOM is 1123. If you're a tequila nerd or you're a big enthusiast, everyone knows what 1123 is. Five or six brands that come out of there right now. Um, and this is one of the newer ones. So it's just a great traditional tasting Blanco tequila. And I thought, what better to share with you boys on a, a nice morning like this and get into it yeah appreciate it uh he's a sober one so he will not be drinking i have seen the light of the moon before however <laughs> <laughs> i do know a thing or two about tequila there we go yes sir. and rugby apparently i didn't know that rugby and tequila go together like peanut butter and jelly my friend well shows you what the fuck i know yes if you don't drink alcohol directly after a rugby match you're not a rugby player okay well i am not a rugby player this is true <laughs> do you, so the school that i went to in tennessee had a, a club rugby team, and typically I would go watch the, the girls play, and I thought, that, like, I would just watch them, and I would get scared. I'm like, these motherfuckers are going to eat me. Mm. Just these big-ass females are going to kill me. Man. It I is a t- sport. It's a sports sport. I can tell you one thing. Uh, I grew up playing sports in Oklahoma, you know, from baseball, track, basketball. I was mediocre at most of them. But uh, I was always impressed by the rugby team because – it takes all types of guys on the pitch to play rugby. Like you have to have the Fords, the big guys that are like little baby elephants. And I've never been more impressed by giant men because they can sit there and go through phase after phase after phase and just get up and slam and get up and slam. And then I'm back here as a winger and I'm like, I run a 50 yard dash. I'm smoked, you know? So it's just the physicality of the game, the athleticism it takes to play that game. Plus, there's so much complexity to it. You know, if you're not having your head on a swivel, you're gonna get you're gonna get taken out. I'm sure. So it's just fun to watch. You know, I I was a practice squad guy. I wasn't any type of like special rugby player. Let's just be clear. But uh, yeah, I got a, a deep admiration for that game, man. It's a it's a, a gentleman's game for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, and uh, I know that you're uh, Nick. You're you were a former pro golfer. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, just not quite as physically demanding as rugby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, in a previous life. In fact, that was uh, that's what lured me over. Um, South African born and raised, 
whole family immigrated to Australia when I was just finished high school. And I've been there for about a year, almost two years. Um, and so it's funny, I was, I, we're just having this conversation with a good buddy who played rugby for Australia last night. He now lives in Dallas. And, um, you know, Australia doesn't have collegiate sport like the U.S. does, right? And so really over there, if you want to be a, you want to pursue sport later on in life, it's turn professional or don't do it, right? And the U.S., you know, I see the U.S. collegiate program as almost kind of that middle ground, right? Where you can still get an education for the most part while you're still improving your sport. You don't have to make that decision like I'm all in on the sport or not. And so I just was not ready to, you know, throw all in, turn professional at 18 years old and start trying to make a living from golf. And I wanted to make sure that if golf didn't work out because I knew the odds are not in your favor, no matter how good you are, um, I wanted to have some type of education to fall back on. And so I started writing letters to coaches here in the U.S., and here's another part that people normally go like, wait, what the fuck? I had never been to the US until I showed up here for the first day of school in August in 2006. Jesus. So I did all my letters and recruiting and back and forth all via email. They actually signed me my national letter of intent, the NCAA, you gotta sign your like, you know, to, to come here to SMU. I signed it via DHL and put it back in the mail in Sydney, Australia. And two weeks later, I got an email saying, you're accepted, your first day of school is August 8th you know, please be check into your dorm room at this time. And, you know, didn't, uh, you know, came from relatively humble upbringing in that and flights are super expensive. So bought one ticket said, uh, kiss mom goodbye at 20, 21 years old. And, you know, hopped on the plane, Eddie Murphy coming to America. Here we come to <laughs> yes, Dallas. Sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Nice. Um, so played college golf at SMU, played for about four years after school. Um, never had status on the PGA Tour. That was the goal I had. Um, but but played all the mini tours, um, PGA Tour Latin America. Traveled a lot with some guys that I still consider my absolute best friends and wouldn't change it for the world. Got such cool memories and stories from traveling to little towns all over the country, be it Oklahoma, Louisiana, road tripping from here to Salt Lake City for Monday qualifiers. Um, you know, and normally, if, and when everyone missed the Monday qualifier, we normally have a fun story the night afterwards in these random towns to, to kind of remember. And um, it was great. Did that for almost four years. Um, and then saw 30 years old coming up real quick and um, decided, yeah, that's maybe maybe not the best thing. I don't think I'm going to get where I wanted to get on the PGA Tour. And so, you know, made a pivot and went another direction. So I want to ask you, um, while you were playing on the PGA Tour, what is some of your most memorable moments while you were out there? And maybe like one of the ones that you cherish the most while you were out there on the on the on tour. So so for like so to understand how it works, right? There's there's about 125 guys every year that have full status on the PGA Tour. You want let's call it like a membership card, right? And so they are basically entitled to play all most of the PGA Tour events. Or at least back when I was doing this, this is how it was set up. Most of the PGA Tour events for the year. At the time, it was called Web.com. It's now Corn Ferry. That is like one tier below. Another 125 guys with full status and a number of guys with, with partial. But every Monday before a tournament, they would have essentially an open qualifier, right? Called a Monday qualifier. And you would have 200 guys playing for four spots. And so every week, tournaments are Thursday through Sunday. Every Monday, you'd have 200 guys playing for four spots that they would hold open. And so you didn't have to have any status at all. And so we did a lot of that where you would just travel to the town where the tournament was that week. And you go play 18 holes and you tee it up with 200 guys that are all try and do the same thing as you. The top four or five will get a start in the actual tournament that week. And then, of course, once you're in, 
any type of finish in that tournament would give you some status, right? You would have points towards your ranking and that. And so I never had PGA Tour status. We played a lot of the Mondays. And then there's a lot of feeder tours that sit underneath that web.com. And a lot of those are, you know, for lack of a better description, organized gambling, right? I mean, the, the, entry, yeah. the entry fees make up the prize money. The first prize was, was barely anything to, sh to, to write home about. And basically outside of the top 10 every week, you're losing money for the week after you count in your travel and your accommodation. So you don't play those tours because it's, it's profitable. You, you play them because you're getting better, you're getting the exposure, you're getting used to being on the road. Um, and you're using that to kind of sharpen your sensors. So when you do play these Mondays or you go to Q school at every year that have one big tournament with multiple stages to try get onto the tour, you know, you'd be prepared. So long-winded kind of explanation. Your question was, what was my favorite, fondest memories? Um, I mean, you know, so this is gonna it's gonna sound kind of cheesy, but all the fondest memories have nothing to do with golf. They have nothing to do with like the best round you played or the best tournament finish or 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 whatever you got going on. It was more just the friendships, the people you met through those friendships. I mean, like I I got friends that were in my wedding party that I met through golf that are still, you know, godparents to my to my kids, um, friends that I've been in their weddings. And these are friends that, you know, you met through golf, you connected through golf. We traveled the country together back when you were, you know, were broke and trying to make it on this tour, you were sharing hotel rooms or in some cases sharing hotel beds for a night when you, where you had to. And, um, that's the, those are the best memories I have is the people and the times we shared, you know, between that, um, during that four year period really made it special. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. I think the camaraderie is is what I love about sport as well. You know, you get out there and it's like you got to go through some struggles with a yeah. with a team and with the guys, like you said, traveling. You know, you're going to lose some stuff. Things are going to happen. You know, Joe shows up hungover on Saturday. Whatever the case may be, you know, those are the fun things. So I, I totally agree. Um, playing sports, it's not necessarily the games, but the moments with the guys, you know, where, where you achieve something together or for yourself. So uh, just a second ago, you were talking about like – creeping up to 30 like whenever you're going to be 30 years old like before you got here <coughs> we're all talking about uh i forget how it came up in conversation oh i was talking about chris because i was like chris how old are you our, our uh videographer and he's like i'm 47 and i'm like you're 47 you sure don't look like it and then uh ryan was just like yeah well, i forget exactly what you said something about like yeah you just moved the wrong way and you're down for a week or something <laughs> like that i'm just yes. like well i'm not there yet i'm still young i'm the i'm the baby here i'm the baby of the group you know what, so. what was the i heard someone make a joke i think it might have been a comedian or something but he's like you know at, at a certain age you go to the doctor and your knee hurts and you're like well, he's like well do this and you do that stretch and you take this and you're like okay so for how long do i need to do that and he's like no that that's just what you do now like that's not when you're in your 20s like do that for three weeks and you're good and like after a certain age it's like that's just now your daily routine until you're in the ground like there's no like um and that comes it comes quick man it uh you know i think the biggest we staying on the golf topic right the biggest thing for me was there was a certain age you know pretty recently where i used to be able to go straight out of the car run into the first tee make like three air swings, practice swings, and like rip driver as hard as I wanted to off the first tee and let's go without thinking about it. And then probably a couple of years ago for the first time, I started being like, well, I might need to hit a few balls before, not because I need to practice. Like I just need to get this body moving and lubricated a little yeah. bit because like I'm not just hopping out of the car anymore after. I mean, we were talking about those road trips, right? I'll never forget. I got two good buddies, the three of us. We're going to go play a Monday qualifier for the web.com event in, um, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we looked at flights and accommodation and everything. And we we're like, man, we're just going to road trip it from Dallas. Like, screw it. 
three of us hopped in the Tahoe, drove up there. I think we spent one night in Denver, broke up the trip, pulled into Salt Lake City on like the Sunday afternoon and went to go play nine holes before the Monday qualifier. And we got out of the car, like driving, I guess we slept in Denver. So from Denver to Salt Lake City, straight through, hopped out of the car, no range was open, made a couple practice swings and off we went and played nine holes. I'm like, dude, I wouldn't walk, spent that long in a car. Like I'm not swinging a golf club for a week now. Hell no. <laughs> uh, but you know, the com- you're talking about camaraderie, right? We were talking about rugby briefly in that. And I never played rugby at any any serious level. Um, the, the, the school system in South Africa is like, you have to do a little bit of everything, right? It's kind of a British, I went to a, a old boys, British style, you know, private school. And you had to play every single sport. Like in every age group, there was like seven teams at the school. Like if you were absolutely terrible, like, you know, ball hitting you in the head, couldn't catch a golf ball or couldn't catch a rugby ball, you were on like the under 15 F team. And then obviously the guys that were studs were in the A team. But every sport, every age group had all these teams. So it didn't matter if you were a serious athlete or you were just at the school, you had to play a sport in summer and a different sport in winter. And then on the flip side, you might have been the biggest jock playing in the first team for every single sport. You had to take a musical instrument, you had to take a second language, and you had to try out for the choir and the plays. And it's like, it was building that kind of um, all-roundedness, right? So I never played rugby of any level of competitive, you know, seriousness, but there's so much camaraderie in it. And I think this is so key with a lot of sports today is... um, there's really not a lot of money in rugby, even international rugby and club rugby, more so now than when I was younger. But, but back then it was most of the guys that played for the Springboks and that had real jobs. Like think about you're representing your country in a sport, but you're an accountant full time or you're a doctor or you're someone, you know, you have a full time job. And because of the money aspect not being there, I think it is more, you know, pure from a sport perspective than we see in a lot of sports today. You can go online and, and look at stories, but you'll see two guys like getting a punch up in the rugby match, knock each other out, and then sitting afterwards after the game, they're giving each other a hug and sharing a beer. Like, oh man, it was a pretty good left hook you had, right? It's like it's still sport for the sake of sport, and it just it makes me warm and fuzzy inside watching it. It's like still we, we don't get that anymore, right? Everyone's got their multi million dollar contract on the line and you know, some guy's not going to be having a beer with you after you break his nose because he's like, you just ruined my, you know, next three weeks and that's going to cost me X million dollars. Rugby's still kind of pure for the sake of sport, which is kind of cool to watch. Very true. That's one of the things I liked about college sports before uh, the NCAA changed the rule where they're going to start paying the players now because in college it was always a guy would be running down the sideline and then a guy would be coming to tackle him. And in college, he's going to take that guy and try to get an extra five yards, yep. you know. And the pros, we're just going to daintily kind of step out of bounds. Yeah, when the, you know, the draft's coming up soon, so I'm going to just sit on the bench for the national championship game or something like that. It's just – I will tell you this from someone who was part of the NCAA for a little while is uh, they've been paying players for a long time. It's just now <laughs> it's just now legal and they don't have to hide it anymore. True. Yeah. Um, you know, Aren't high school players getting paid now too? Is that a thing? Not to bring up uh, old ghosts, but I'm pretty sure SMU had to pay the penalty. Uh, I'm pretty sure SMU oh, people right. just got tired of them winning, so they used them as a scapegoat. Everyone was doing it. Yeah, they did. They got it. They gave them the death penalty. They couldn't uh, be in any kind of uh, bowl games or anything for like. Yeah, years. I mean, I guess I you, totally, you, I totally forgot about yeah. that. There's like a thirty for thirty. Uh, on it, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It was so bad that they uh, they've never implemented that punishment again because they didn't realize they thought that it would impact the school for like five years in the program, and then they would just come back. Mm-hmm. And so I went to SMU in 2006, and dude, I could have walked on our football team in 2006 as a golfer. Like, I mean, it was, 
like what's that guy doing in the weight room like oh he's like on a full ride he's a wide receiver i'm like what like playing football i mean this is now i'll be clear right smu is a way way better now um and there were some phenomenal players but as a whole right that that program took forever to recover from that death penalty it's very true i grew up in uh, oklahoma and uh, oklahoma football was kind of everything because there were no pro sports so the boss the boss uh i'm a, uh, unfortunately i'm a i'm a cowboys fan you know i'm a poke i'm an oklahoma state guy i gotta tell you so growing up in oklahoma man it's brutalized being an oklahoma state fan because we were we were trash you know we had uh, a couple of good a couple of good seasons when i was young young with like barry sanders you know and thurman thomas and guys like that yep. you know people forget thurman kept barry on the bench for two years you know so we had two of the great running backs for sure but yeah oklahoma man they dominated and um it was a it was almost like a religion in oklahoma yeah you know i mean truly okay so i was wondering what the fuck do you do like for like because i know you got your tequila brand or well like the tequila wanderer yeah like what exactly do you like who is nick what do you do so uh to it might shock you but um you know uh tequila influencing and tasting tequilas on on instagram live and that is is not my full-time gig um it's a fun hobby that gets me to kind of get away from what but uh you know i've i've been off to the golf career i kind of moved into sales um in uh, the first part was a like a third party vendor third party company that supported the large insurance carriers um and then for the last almost five years now i've been um i've been working for a the software company, technology company. So we sell um, enterprise data management solutions to 85 of the Fortune 100. And um, it's it's a, it's kind of a, a data management solution that almost any company, no matter how big or small you are, could probably benefit from. Yeah. Um, so quick answer, software sales is the, uh, is the career, is the main gig. Um, tequila is the the passion that I kind of founded about seven years ago now, at least started the, the social media thing about seven years ago now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've got good friends that, that still think that's that's what I do. So oh, how's the tequila business going? I'm like, you know, that's a hobby, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're Well, good. social media doesn't really show everything. So it's a highlight reel. You know, I think I've been, uh, I've been trying to highlight that aspect of it for a while now um, on some of the lives and the interviews that I do is this, you know, I'm trying to get people to, for lack of a better term, like get your life from the source, yep. you know, through a screen. Um, I'm not gonna get all philosophical with you over here before, before noon um, while we're sipping on tequila, but. <laughs> You know, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I, I honestly think I had, I would never replace anything about my childhood ever. And the fact that I missed this whole social media era, I consider a blessing, not not a not a curse or not just a, you know, um, an anomaly. I, I genuinely am grateful that I missed this. And, you know, when I had to, we had to find shit to do when we were bored, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to meet people, you meet them in person. Um, you know, I joke about this with my wife. I'm like, you know, when I met my wife, it was right at the beginning of the whole dating app thing. I'd never, ever, I've never been on one. I've never, I've barely seen how they work. And I'm so grateful for that. Like when I, you know, back when I was single and before I met my wife, it's like you had to meet someone, you still had to go fucking talk to them. Like yeah. you saw someone you found attractive, you go, you had to actually be a person, right? Where online, everyone can be whoever the fuck they want. Like mm. I say this, right? On Instagram is, if I'm going to be nice, misleading, or someone's highlight reel, 
to be honest, it's like straight up intentionally bullshit. Yeah. Like it's, if I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, I'm saying you're only showing the good parts, right? But in all honesty, there's a big percentage of social media out there that is intentionally misleading and showing you the opposite. And, um, you know, anyway, it is what it is, right? But when I founded the social media thing, without knowing this, right, I, I kind of hit like a little bit of a niche. And so bourbon was kind of big. I did not know this, that, you know, tequila was going to be this category that was just rocketing to the top, right? It was, I think the stat in 2022 last year was it was the first year ever that tequila outsold whiskey and vodka in the US. I think really? about that, like outsold. I mean, I'll tell you from friends that work in the industry, right? Like the big distributors, they'll have people that manage different categories. So they'll have like a VP of agave spirits. They'll have a VP of bourbon. They'll have a VP of scotch. And he manages all those brands. Tito's has their own fucking VP. That gives you an idea of like how much volume that 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 moves, right? Tito's has their own VP that only works around the country, like specifically for Tito's, one brand of vodka. Um, I can't remember the statistic, but I think they sold like 13 million cases or something in 2022. Jesus and Christ. even with that, Agave Spirits as a whole outsold bourbon and vodka in the U.S. So that shows you how it's just the category is just still trending and still moving up, and no one knows where the top of that mountain is yet. But when I started the Instagram page seven years ago, right, I didn't know this and there was no one on social media doing what I'm doing. And um, so, I, you know, I joke with some of the people who I now consider friends, some of the best tequila makers in the industry and that I said, you know, when I started this, I couldn't even tag their brands like the the fifth generation tequila maker had the, the most renowned, the most respected brands out there that are still legacy brands made the traditional way, no shortcuts, no additives, just still made the way it was made 100 years ago. I would like find these brands and love them and learn about them. And I couldn't tag them in social media because they didn't even have a social media presence. Excuse me. When I started this almost seven years ago now, um, now any night of the week, I can hop on Instagram and there's 10 people doing live tastings or reviews or tequila talks or interviews with tequila makers or, or reviewing tequila brands. Um, but when I first started it, there was, there was just no one doing it on social media. And it, uh, it kind of blew up pretty quickly because of that, which is, um, again, kind of cool because I've, I've made some, like golf, I've made a lot of phenomenal friends and built relationships through this, this kind of mutual love of tequila um, over the last seven years. Like friends that I would, you know, if I deleted the Instagram account tomorrow, we'd still be friends and we'd still be in contact. Yeah, yeah, that's dope, man. You know, coming back to like, uh, like dating apps and stuff like that, um, Courtney, if she can hear me, I don't know if she can. I got my headphones on. I can't tell if she can. Okay, so... Um, that's actually how we met was through Bumble. There we go. Yeah, we met through dating app. I was traveling for work, and uh, long story short, um, we're engaged now. So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, look, dude, I wasn't, you know, I've got multiple friends that met through dating apps and that type of thing, and I think... I mean, kudos to you guys because I think it's. Oh no it's no! A, the reason I bring a, the reason no, I, it's a minefield. Like I mean, it's so difficult. I mean, you luckily found you know something genuine and yeah, like, it's awesome. But I mean, I like the fate. Like I like it. There's people the that have terrible fate. intentions on there. Let me put yeah. it. Yeah, too many options is a bad option. Yeah. yeah. So, but no, I, I. What you were saying about like being able to just go out and meet people, hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fate. Well, because like my like what I do with my other podcast let's have a sip is like primarily I'm you know drinking bourbon whatever um you know everything's virtual so like there's no synergy like we have right mm -hmm. now like I can actually like 
if your internet cut out, I'm like, oh, what'd you say? You know what I'm saying? So we don't have that here. So, so I wanted to ask, what do you think uh, changed the trend where tequila just started on that upward trajectory? When do you think that happened and, and what maybe caused that? So, uh, I mean, you have to, you have to credit the Casamigos effect, right? The, you know, as much as the purists, the tequila purists and that like hate Casamigos and it's the, you know, it's the celebrity corporate brand, mass produced, yada, yada, yada. You know, I, I take a different approach and I differ on a lot of, if you want to call them aficionados, right? I, these tequila purists, if you go on social media, you'll find a lot of people that do reviews and that, that'll, that'll bash the, the mass produced additive heavy, let's be nice and PC, call it Americanized commercialized brands, right? Um, I take a different approach, right? First of all, I'll say this, I barely have any time to, to highlight the quality people and brands that I like with full-time job, three small boys at home, multiple other things I got going on, still like to indulge in my golf as a hobby, as, a, as something as well. Um, I've always been, even prior to golf, like really been conscious of health and fitness. Uh, you know, my dad was a, was a net, swam for his country, ran ultra marathons. Like from when I was a kid, I, I grew up and just, I didn't know any other way other than to be fit for lack of a better term without sounding like a douchebag. Like it wasn't an option where I, you know, when I grew up. And so with all those things that I want to still do, I barely have time to, to, to spend time and highlight the great quality brands. I definitely don't have time to get on and do a 45 minute Instagram about how shit some mass produced brand is and why it's bad and what additives are in there. And so, but if you go on social media, you'll find a ton of people that do right and to each their own. There's people that have grown, have a much bigger following than me in the tequila space. And they, you know, will regularly take advantage of the, you know, Casamigas bashing effect, if you want to call it that. I like to, I, I think I was drunk on a, on an Instagram live years back. And I think I coined a term, which I love hearing other social media people use. Now I'm like, I remember when that term first came out because I said it after about 10 drinks, but I like to think of them as like a gateway tequila. All right. It's a, it's a way to get people that aren't tequila drinkers started on their journey. And then the hope is that over the time they will get educated on what is really quality and what isn't. And the only reason I say that is because that's how I found it, right? I was social. You've been in Australia, you know, South Africans and Australians like to drink. They like to be social. Um, and a normal night out, I would be drinking anything and everything, right? Be it beer, rum, cocktails here, champagne there, shots of this, whatever it might be. And um, the first time I started getting into tequila, it was those gateway brands, right? The Don Julio 1942s, the super sweet vanilla added, you know, vanilla bomb tequilas. But if I had tasted, you know, stuff like we're drinking right now, back then I would have been like, oh, I can't drink this. Like my palate wasn't ready for that. So it was like a gateway to get me started on tequila. And then, then I went down the rabbit hole, right? Then you start learning about how they're, how it's made and what the difference between, you know, an additive free and, 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 and traditional production is versus putting it into a giant machine and, and different quality. I mean, I can go on all day, right? The, mm -hmm. the quality of the agave going in has such a huge impact on it. And that, that's the whole, that's the start, right? That's the, the foundation of it. And if you're, Another thing is like the agave plant can take up to 10 years to fully mature, right? Really ideally seven to 10 years is where you want to harvest it. So think about the, the planning that goes into producing a quality brand. Like 
you and I could put a bunch of agave in the ground today with the ambition of making a tequila, that we're seven years away from, a, from our first Blanco. That's like something that isn't aged at all. Now you're gonna add, you know, aging and that type of thing, like it's even further away. So went down that rabbit hole and, you know, your palate kind of uh, develops. But, you know, the key was is that I, if it wasn't for the, you know, the Casamigos quote unquote of the world, I don't think I would have, I would have ever really got that interested in it in the first place seven years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what the Casamigos brands, I would say, glamorized tequila versus other brands, right? You had, you had Clooney and Randy Gerber and you had, you know, you got Hollywood celebrities and they, they created a lifestyle around a brand that people bought into the brand, not the actual juice that was in the bottle. Like people wanted to wear the Casamigos t-shirt and people saw these lavish parties in Hollywood and, and after the Oscars and stuff with Casamigos everything and their friends and network, you know, celebrity network would, you'd see them in paparazzi videos and they've got Casamigos and people bought into like the lifestyle of Casamigos more so than the, the juice that was in the bottle, yeah. right? And I think that kind of started it. And then the financial aspect, right? What else drives everything in the world, right? Money. And so when Casamigos were making the money they were, and especially now when they sold to Diageo for two and a half billion dollars. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Two and a half billion dollars. Like now everyone wants to be the next Casamigos. If I had a dollar for every time someone's like reached out to me through the Instagram, been like, hey, you know, I, I work for an investment firm or my, you know, we're looking to invest in a brand. Like, who do you think is going to be the next Casamigos? I'm like, do you th if I knew that, do you think I'd be... Like, you think I'd be sharing it with you? I'd be like all in trying to grab up as much as I could. Yeah, of all people, me, you me, for sure. Me. Oh, yeah. yeah there we go. So we, it's, we will do this. Like, so, so really it's that is that and a number of things is just kind of, and, and people have a, a tendency to, to want something new, right? How many times do you change the cover on your cell phone because you just get tired of the color, right? I think it'll go through its phases. Tequila will have its moment and then something else will pop up. It'll come back, right? I mean, you know bourbon will make a, a comeback in some way i mean if you everything goes like this if you wait long enough but tequila is definitely on the rise and it's the end isn't in sight yet so it's interesting i'm uh, uh i've i know you post about this quite a bit on your socials um about lalo is it it's lalo right mm -hmm. um never tried it heard really good things i need to grab i need to grab a bottle of that, that was the other bottle i had in my hand before we came over here i had this one i had a bottle of lalo and oh, i was really? like ah, and really i had a bit few too many lalos last night so that was the reason <laughs> okay. i was like oh you know, we'll switch it up a little bit so the guy behind that is isn't he like the grandson of don julio or something you've been, like that you've been following the instagram really well i, I have so I'm, doing, I'm a fan that's a good podcaster right there. he's doing his research yeah. and his background yeah he is so uh so lalo himself lalo gonzalez is uh the grandson of uh don julio gonzalez who was the creator and founder of don julio arguably the first luxury tequila brand right he was one of the first people that said Tequila is not this shitty well drink, the Jose Cuervos of the world in the American eyes. He goes, we need to go and make sure we market it as a high-end sipping spirit to the U.S., not a well drink that you mix with, you know, sour mix to, to, to kill out the taste. Um, and so, you know, again, Don Julio started that way. Of course, when you, like anything, right, when you grow so big, it's very hard to contain, to, to maintain levels of quality and that type of thing. You, it's like anything in the world. You, you can either choose quality or quantity. There's very few things that can do both. Um, but 
so Lalo has always been around tequila and he's always had an ambition to to kind of do his own thing and so Lalo's been around probably for about two years now um and it's it's great and like living here in Texas because they have a big influence in Texas Lalo himself actually moved from Mexico now lives in Austin um a lot of the 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 people involved with that are based in Austin as well and so because of the Texas aspect to it the thing I love about it is like almost everywhere I go into now in Dallas, they have that, right? And we're, yeah. before, it was like, oh, they don't have a great tequila selection. What are my options? It's like, oh, Don Julio or Patron or it's like, yeah, I'm terrible, but nothing I was like really excited about. Now I'm pumped. I mean, you go to a hole in the wall. I mean, you go to Inwood Tavern and like they got Lalo on there now on the back of the bar and it's great because I can drink those all night. You've got a clean quality Blanco tequila. I can drink them all night, wake up the next day as I am here right now. Ready to and, party uh, again. Ready to go after it. Get after it again. Cool. So whenever you go out for a drink in the town, what spot are you hitting? Oh, man, I'm 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 getting older and older, and like becoming that like old man who doesn't want to leave his neighborhood anymore. Like I'm, <laughs> I've got friends that you know they'll hit me up all the time. Hey, we're down here, down the street from from where we are right now, and I'm like, eh. It's but so I can, I'm I, like, could, I could just sit here in my bed. I'm like, can we meet halfway at like Highland Park Village and there's parking and I could just park and drink and leave and there's no valet and there's no line down Henderson and I'm just, I'm super old and boring when it comes to that. But, um, you know, there's a few places in Dallas. If I'm going, if I'm take, if my wife and I are going out on like a date night, and we want to go get a good bite, but like something with a good tequila menu. Um, Jose and Lovers has a really good, like from a tequila spot, is a really good menu. Um, trying to think where else you know have, a, have we been there courtney jose's have not we have not oh well i guess we're going all right well yeah, then there you go. sorry i guess well, you need to know you know where you're going next weekend then yep. shout out to jose and lovers yeah yep, there we so go. um you know between there and and spots in highland park village and a few other places i can mention um you know places with good tequila menus and but you know i'm not proud to say that the driving factor for me is convenience of getting there and getting home <laughs> right now it's uh Always. It's tough when you've got a tequila collection at home that's that rivals most. Like I would, you know, it's yeah. It's like why why go pay money for something that you have at the house? Well, the worst thing is when I I want to when I want something at the bar that I have at the house, and you know, you look at the price list and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like really? Yeah. I'm like that bottle cost me 140 bucks, and I'm like, you're charging 45 dollars a pour at the restaurant. That's, but, how, that's um, how I feel about my about my whiskey. Whenever whenever I go places, I'm like, what yeah. the. Fuck? So the, the goal is just to never look at the price. Like just give them a card and just, just take it, take it away. I don't want to see it. Take my money. Yeah. Um, but you know, Dallas has got a good spot, right? And uh, got some good spots for tequila. And I think we're blessed in Texas if you're a tequila lover. Um, outside of California, I think a lot of the brands in that as well are like the first places new brands will launch in is California and Texas. Probably the two biggest markets for agave spirits right now. Um, so we get lucky enough that we we we'll get access to a lot of the really good stuff and the limited edition stuff and the limited release stuff that you might not get in a lot of other states. Very cool. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Um, so I know you got a baptism to go to, so <laughs> I don't don't want to keep you too long. But Ryan, you got any other questions? Do they drink at baptisms? I uh, <laughs> I, I I don't plan on testing that theory today. Um, but uh, you know, we'll. I do have some. You know, I think the life of being a dad is never, you've always got something to do, right? It's, uh, which is another reason the whole, you know, added, you know, hangoverless experience of, of good quality tequila is imperative for me, right? I'm not, 
I'm not 20 years old anymore. Like the thing that got me into tequila was being able to go out and have a few drinks and have a good time and still being functional the next day, still being able to get a little workout in, still being yeah. able to, you know, to meet your responsibilities as a as a parent, right? And I think um, it just kind of all fits in, right? I think I need tequila needs to be marketed as to the high level, like for people that have got shit to do, right? Like no one, once you get to a certain <laughs> age, like no one can afford to just write off a day because you don't feel well. That's true. a good way. Um, that's a good way of looking at that. I like true. that. Yeah, it's like you know, and even if you do don't feel great, like when you're a when you're a parent, like tough shit. I always tell my friends, I'm like, dude, I can, they're like, oh, you can't stay out because you've got, you know, you've got kids. And I'm like, I can stay out till 5 a.m. if I fucking want. But my day starts at six, like regardless of what time I come home. So yes. I can stay out till five. My day still starts at six. If I go home at midnight, my day starts at six. So I can do whatever I want until six. I can stay out all night and I got to be home by six because that's when my day starts and I don't get a choice. And it starts fast with three boys. There's no like easing into the day. Oh, I'm sure. It's like zero to a hundred real quick. Yeah, Courtney oh, yes. and I don't have kids, but I can I can only imagine. I know he, uh, Ryan Ryan has a a, a daughter. I do. I yeah. have a three year old yeah. girl, so I understand. Yeah, there so we go. But, she wakes um, up. She says, "Daddy, I want to be Elsa." <laughs> there you go. Yes. You're like, just wait for February. And, love. and don't you in dare Dallas. grab the Moana dress. You know what I'm saying? Because that is not gonna fly. Okay. <laughs> Because uh, I tell you, it's like a you know sometimes they just turn into little tyrants, but that's part of the game, man. It's a beautiful thing. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to be a father, grateful for it. So let me ask you this then: I got a question for you. So yes, how, uh, you know, you said bourbon guy, right? That's where you started. Mm -hmm. And so what have you found about? The, you mentioned you've been like getting into tequila a little bit. You're starting to to get a better appreciation for it. What's your experience been over the last? I don't know, call it however long it's been, right? I say like uh, so. I, I, do you know Naomi? Bombardier, I do know Naomi. Yeah, yeah. Osadia. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think she's was, with those. She was with Osadia. Yeah. Yes, so I don't think yeah. she's with her any uh, with them anymore. But uh, I got connected with her through a local liquor store here in town. And uh, shout out to Lucky Liquor, uh, Scott. He's the man. Um, Scott. He. Uh, Where is that? I don't think I've ever. It's been on there. Henderson. It's literally right down here, less than a mile down the road. All right. Um, yeah, it's a it's a small little uh, independent independently owned store. Cool guy. Uh, you know, it's a cool spot. Um, linked up with her. You know, we did the podcast, got some tequila from her and stuff like that, tried it. I don't know too much about Osadia, but um, that kind of was like, I guess, a gateway tequila, if you will, um, to get into, you know, Reposados, Anejos, Blancos, whatever, all these other finishes. Like, I know, t I forget exactly what it's called, but there's a tequila that has like a Booker's whiskey finish or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, just, it's been good and I've been slowly kind of getting into mezcal as well. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? What's happening? And, um, it's just crazy. And I'm just like, my palate is starting to like get a little bit more experience and yeah. I'm understanding like what I'm tasting and why do I like it? And if I'm trying something I don't like, I'm trying to understand why I don't like that. I don't want to spend money on something I don't like, Sure, but, um, it's been fun and I'll, been able to meet some really cool people like yourself and uh just kind of going to like local liquor stores and just going to different tastings and stuff like that it's been super fucking fun man so yeah i mean i think that was that was one of the uh you know for the most part from my understanding is like you know bourbon it can be manipulated a lot and you've got like a lot of different flavor profiles in that but the cool thing about agave is is that those profiles, okay, so I don't, I don't have familiar with wine, right? But there's a there's a terminology used in, in wine, in the wine world where a uh, French term terroir, which is refers to the, 
how the rainfall of a year and the altitude and the mineral composition of the soil impacts the grapes, which ultimately impacts that year's wine. That's why you have a wine where you're like, you know, well, wine nerds are like, oh, the 2012 was a really good year, right? Because the rainfall, everything kind of came together. And, and if you do produce tequila in a traditional way where you're not adding vanilla and caramel and, and coloring and glycerin and all the other crap at the end of the process that terroir is also very apparent. And so there's a brand, Tequila Ocho, one of my absolute favorites, which actually puts a year that, that they give each tequila a vintage and they do what they call single estate releases. So all the agave for that particular bottle is from one field of agave. And with other brands, they will pick and choose pieces of a field because they have a taste profile that they would like to keep pretty consistent for years and years and years. Ocho understands that every year is going to be very, very different. And so they harvest the entire field. And so each bottle will have a year that it was harvested and the actual name of the ranch of the field. Yeah. And you can take a Blanco from 2021 and you can take a Blanco from the other one in a different field and they're... The production methods, the crushing of the agave, the cooking, the fermentation, everything is identical. They don't even taste like the same tequila. Mm. And that is the terroir coming out. And they actually go as far as putting on the back of the bottle. I remember like a one-off, right? Uh, a few years ago, one of the ranches that they released was Los Patos, uh, the ducks. And the reason they called that field Los Patos is because when the ducks migrate through that region of Mexico, they would always come through the field. And for lack of a better term, they'd shit all over the place and all the duck poop would be everywhere and it would really fertilize the soil. And it would create a very different taste profile of that tequila versus a field that was at a different altitude, that was a more arid region, that was surrounded by fruit trees, whatever it might be. And so, some shitty tequila, man. You're just, <laughs> you're just scratching the surface about you know when you start getting into the different profiles and that you'll start noticing that there's there's a lot of little factors that that little intricacies that can impact it. I was just in Mexico a few weeks back, and I was honored enough to be at Ocho's Distillery. And they surprised me and a few other people that were visiting over there. They, they actually let us help choose the next limited release that's coming out in September this year. They call it Puntas. They bring it out every couple of years. Would you call me? <laughs> and um, but no, the, the the part that blew my mind is even as much as I've been around tequila is we had a we had the distillate straight out of the distillery. It's, it's about seventy something proof, right? Seventy percent alcohol proof. Yeah, and um, they're gonna. They basically do the calculations. We've got a water dropper into the glass, 10 millimeters of tequila and a water dropper. And we're doing the math on, I mean, it was way too much math after a whole day of drinking for me. Yeah, but yeah. Carlos Camarena, the master distiller is up there and he's like, all right, three drops of water will get what you've got in your little taster over there to about 55%. And you put three drops of water in, mix it in, you taste it and you're like, we're taking toast, tasting notes and everything. And then he's like, well, maybe some people prefer it at like a 53%. So like take one more drop of water in there and you mix it. And dude, the second time you're getting all these things on the profile that weren't even there before. So it's not just the same tastes, but watered down. It is that now there's pepper and there's like a minerality on it. And we added a freaking drop of water to 10 mils of tequila. So there's so many little intricacies that, that a brand that gets mass produced and sells a million cases, you know, I love Dwayne Johnson, but like, dude, don't start talking about tequila. Like <laughs> your small batch, like how do you sell 400,000 cases of well, last year 1.2 million cases of small batch um you know how it's all marketing is? there's a lot of small stuff like, I, mean, I mean i wouldn't say it to his face <laughs> like i mean 
Uh, don't get me wrong. What's, I love what's I, small to him is big. I mean, big there we bullet. go. Yeah. Anyway, I will say this. I love it. You know, you reached out. I'm, I, nothing. The reason I still do the the Instagram thing and that is kind of what I said about golf. And I'll finish on this is I got some, you know, cheesy saying I mentioned all the time on my Instagram lives. And whenever I'm speaking and interviewing people is that the tequila you drink is only as good as the people you drink it with. Yeah. And I said, honestly, if Instagram came tomorrow and got deleted off the face of the planet, I, my life barely changes because why what I get out of that page and the value that I really love about what I've done for seven years on that Instagram page is the people, the relationships and the, and the stuff that happens in getting life from the source. See, I went full circle there, came back to the, the first topic. <laughs> it really is, right? I mean, that's what makes it sitting over here with you guys in an actual room, drinking tequila, talking about it, conversations we had before the camera started rolling. That's what it's really about, not what ultimately ends up on the screen. Yeah. Um, yes. And so the thing I love about that page is is the people and, and educating. And so the reason I say that is I genuinely get happy when people like you reach out and be like, hey, I've been watching this and I've started getting into tequila. What do you think about this? I'm like, that's that's badass. I love nothing more when I, I feature a tequila in a live and I get people blowing me up being like, hey, I, I saw that at my bar and I tried it and absolutely loved it. Or I didn't like it, right? They're, they're, everyone's taste is different. Yeah. The people is what it's about. The page is only as good as everyone that engages and follows it. And so it's a tequila page, but it's really the theme of it is, is people and everyone that comes together around a mutual interest or love or dislike for tequila, whatever brings you there, everyone's brought there with some mutual factor and it's all about people. Yeah. Hashtag drink Mexican, ladies and gentlemen. Salute. Cheers uh, to that. So one last thing before we let you go. Um, Ryan, myself, and our team decided to uh, get you a little something, something. We got you something. <laughs> so, you probably never seen it before. Probably not. So I got you some golf balls. Oh ever, snap! You probably never golf seen gift those. card. Dude, you have no idea how badly I need these right now. A liquid IV and then some other supplements. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Stay is, hydrated. This might be the best gift I've got ever, regardless of uh, circumstances. This is amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah, for thank sure. Thank you for having me on. Honored yeah. to be on the podcast, and I'm excited to see, you know, you guys just knock out more and more episodes of these and. Um, you know, again, it's a uh, thank you and yeah. drink Mexican where you can. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, for sure. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a good one. Peace. Peace. Thank you for watching the Cactus Pit Podcast. Brought to you by Bearded Bastard Barbershop and Legacy Hi-Fi Studios.